Section 6 of The Memorable Thoughts of Socrates by Xenophon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eddie Elfman. The Memorable Thoughts of Socrates by Xenophon. Translated by Edward Bichy. Book 1, Chapter 6. The Dispute of Socrates with Antiphon, the Sophist. To this end, it will not be amiss to relate for the honour of Socrates, what passed between him and the sophist Antiphon, who designed to seduce away his hearers, and to that end came to him when they were with him, and, in their presence, addressed himself to him in these words. I imagined, Socrates, that philosophers were happier than other men, but in my opinion your wisdom renders you more miserable, for you live at such a rate that no footman would live with a master that treated him in the same manner. You eat and drink poorly, you are clothed very meanly, the same suit serves you in the summer and winter, and you go barefoot. For all this you take no money, although it is a pleasure to get it, for after a man has acquired it he lives more genteely, and more at his ease. If, therefore, as in all other sorts of arts, apprentices endeavour to imitate their masters, should these who frequent your conversation become like you? It is certain that you will have taught them nothing but to make themselves miserable." Socrates answered him in the following manner. You think, Antiphon, I live so poorly that I believe you would rather die than live like me. But what is it that you find so strange and difficult in my way of living? You blame me for not taking money? Is it because those who take money are obliged to do what they promise? And that I, who take none, entertain myself only with whom I think fit? You despise my eating and drinking. Is it because my diet is not so good? nor so nourishing as yours, or because it is that more scarce and dearer, or lastly, because your fare seems to do you better. Know that a man who likes what he eats needs no other ragout, and that he who finds one sort of drink pleasant wishes for no other. As to your objection of my clothes, you appear to me, Antiphon, to judge quite amiss of the matter. Do you not know that we dress ourselves differently only because of the hot or cold weather, and if we wear shoes it is because we would walk the easier? But tell me, did you ever observe that the cold hath hindered me from going abroad? Have you ever seen me choose the cool and fresh shades in hot weather? And though I go barefoot, do you not see that I go wherever I will? Do you not know that there are some persons of a very tender constitution who, by constant exercise, surmount the weaknesses of their nature and at length endure fatigues better than they who are naturally more robust, but have not taken pains to exercise and harden themselves like the others? Thus, therefore, do you not believe that I, who have all my life accustomed myself to bear patiently all manner of fatigues, cannot now more easily submit to this than you, who have never thought of the matter? If I have no keen desire after dainties, if I sleep little, if I abandon not myself to any infamous or more, the reason is because I spend my time more delightfully in these things whose pleasure ends not in the moment of enjoyment, and that make me hope besides to receive an everlasting reward. Besides, you know very well that when a man sees that his affairs go ill, he is not generally very gay, that, on the contrary, they who think to succeed in their designs, whether in agriculture, traffic, or any other undertaking, are very contented in their minds. Now do you think that for anything whatsoever that can proceed a satisfaction equal to the inward consciousness of improving daily in virtue and acquiring the acquaintanceship and friendship of the best of men? And if we were to serve our friends or our country, would not a man who lives like me be more capable of it than one who should follow that course of life which you take to be so charming? If it were necessary to carry arms, which of the two would be the best soldier? He who must always fare deliciously, 
or he who would satisfy with what he finds? If they were to undergo a siege, who would hold out longest? He who could not live without delicacies, or he who requires nothing but what may easily be had? One would think, Antiphon, that you believe happiness to consist in good eating and drinking, and in an expensive and splendid way of life. For my part, I'm of the opinion that to have need of nothing at all is a divine perfection, and that to have need but of little is to approach very near the deity. And hence it follows that, as there is nothing more excellent than the deity, whatever approaches nearest to it, likewise most near the supreme excellence. Another time Antiphon addressed himself to Socrates. I confess you an honest, well-meaning man, Socrates, but it is certain you know little or nothing, and one would imagine you own this to be true, for you get nothing by your teaching, and yet, I persuade myself, you would not part with your house or any of the furniture of it without some gratuity, because you believe them of some small value. Nay, you would not part with them for less than they are worth. If, therefore, you thought your teaching worth anything, you would be paid for it according to its value. In this, indeed, you show yourself honest, because you will not out of avarice cheat any man, but at the same time you discover, too, that you know but little, since all your knowledge is not worth the buying. Socrates answered him in this manner. There is a great resemblance between beauty and the doctrine of philosophers. What is praiseworthy is the one that is so in the other, and both of them are subject to the same vice. For if a woman sells her beauty for money, we immediately call her a prostitute. But if she knows that a man of worth and condition has fallen in love with her, and if she makes him her friend, we say she is a prudent woman. It is just the same with the doctrine of philosophers. They that sell it are sophists, and like the public women. But a philosopher observe a youth of excellent parts, and teacheth him what he knows, in order to obtain his friendship. We say of him that he acts the part of a good and virtuous citizen. Thus, as such delight in fine horses, others in dogs, and others in birds. For my part, all my delight is to be with my virtuous friends. I teach them all the good I know, and recommend them to all those who I believe capable to assist them in the way of perfection. We all draw together, out of the same fountain, the precious treasures which the ancient sages have left us. We run over their works, and if we find anything excellent, we take notice of it and select it. In short, we believe we have made a great improvement when we begin to love one another. This was the answer he made, and when I heard him speak in this manner, I thought him very happy, and that he effectually stirred up his hearers to the love of virtue. Another time, when Antiphon asked him why he did not concern himself with the affairs of state, seeing he thought himself capable to make others good politicians, he returned this answer. Should I be more serviceable to the state if I took an employment whose function would be wholly bounded in my person, and take up all of my time? than I am by instructing everyone as I do, and in furnishing the Republic with great number of citizens who are capable to serve her? End of section 6